tomorrow, gentlemen. We'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino, big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? On a camel. They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. There are a collection of men who helped build the city of Las Vegas during its formative years that didn't have colored pass. Their origins are not linked to organized crime, and their stories aren't the sort of things that people make movies about. However, they would become shining examples that the gaming industry could not only exist without the mob, but could continue to grow. A fact that was established in 1941 and continues to endure to this day. The El Cortez is the city's oldest hotel casino to continuously operate under the same name, and only the second casino ever added to the nation's historical preservation list. It's also the only casino on that list that's still open to this day. This is the story of the people and the properties that shaped downtown Las Vegas. John Kell Housels Jr. moved his family to Las Vegas in 1929 and bought a one-third share in a legal poker room called the Smokehouse on Fremont Street. He renamed it the Las Vegas Club. This isn't the Las Vegas club you know that existed on the corner of Fremont Street in Maine. This is the original Las Vegas club, located across the street from that location, in between the Pioneer Club and the Monte Carlo Club. While not a casino anymore, the Pioneer Club still exists to this day, and the original Las Vegas club is the western part of that property. The Monte Carlo Club evolved into the Northern Club, then the Coin Castle in 1970, before becoming La Bayou in 1999, then becoming part of Golden Gate in 2017. When gambling was re-legalized in Nevada, Housels was one of the first people awarded a gaming license and his partners remodeled the Las Vegas club into a small casino. In 1941, JK and his partners wanted to run a resort. So they teamed up with LA architect and developer Marion Hicks to build a Spanish colonial resort, the first resort on Fremont Street, located off 6th, the 59 room El Cortez at a cost of $245,000. In classic Vegas tradition, its ability to be successful was underestimated because its location was believed to be too far removed from the heart of downtown activity. That theory was quickly dispelled, and the property became so profitable that when history identifies organized crime first appearing in Las Vegas, it was the El Cortez that caught their attention. In 1945, the first documented acquisition of a Las Vegas casino being purchased by organized crime was recorded when Bugsy Siegel, Meyer Lansky, Gus Greenbaum, and Mo Sedway purchased the El Cortez for $600,000. However, by 1946, mob ownership in the El Cortez had a problem on their hands. A project they invested in on Highway 91 led by Billy Wilkerson, the owner of The Hollywood Reporter, was having massive cost overruns because Bugsy Siegel the man the mob put in charge to keep an eye on their investment, decided at some point that he was the brains behind the project and started making costly changes to it. 
He mismanaged the Flamingo Project so badly that the mob investment ended up being five times more than the $1 million they initially committed to. To help finance the rising costs, the mob sold their interest in the El Cortez back to Housel's. To help finance the reacquisition of the El Cortez, Housel sold his stake in the land he had on what would become known as the Strip to an ownership group that included his former partner in the El Cortez, Marion Hicks. On that land, Hicks and company would go on to build the Thunderbird. Shortly after taking El Cortez back over, in May of 1946, Housel's announced plans to expand the property at a cost of $250,000 or $5,000 more than it cost to build the El Cortez five years prior. New amenities would include a barbershop, swimming pool, nightclub, and a four-story wing. Later that year, with the exception of the race book, which Gus Greenbaum retained an interest in, Housels took over full ownership of the Las Vegas Club. In 1947, he brought on a new partner to the Las Vegas Club, that would eventually go on to become one of the most legendary owners in Vegas history, Benny Binion. In 1949, they relocated the Las Vegas Club across the street into the first floor of the Overland Hotel on the corner of Main and Fremont Street, establishing the footprint it's best known for existing on. The Overland would continue to operate the hotel club on the second floor of the building and separate neon signs were installed promoting each individually. Part of that expansion would be adding the tallest neon sign in Las Vegas. Housels would eventually sell his stake in the Las Vegas Club shortly after. While still investing in several businesses throughout the city, for a time, he primarily ran the El Cortez. But in 1954, he was one of the original investors in the Showboat Casino off of Boulder Highway, better known as the Castaways. But Housels is probably best known for being the guy the gaming commission asked to take over running the Tropicana after proof of the first major skimming operation in Las Vegas was uncovered to be happening at the property after an attack was made on mob boss Frank Costello's life and the details of how the skim was to be distributed was found on his person. Housels would become the man credited with turning the Tropicana into the Tiffany of the Strip. In 1963, Housels would sell the El Cortez to the man it's best identified with as its owner. But before we get to that, we need to talk about that man's business partner, a guy by the name of Mel Exper. Mel Exper claims he won the first bet he ever made, betting a nickel that heavyweight boxing contender Max Bauer would defeat then-world champion Primo Carnera. Bauer won in the 11th round with a TKO. After that, Mel was hooked and said he and his friends, quote, never played a game without making a bet. We bet on everything. During World War II, Mel served as a mechanic in the Army. He also amassed a large bankroll playing craps and poker. In the late 1940s, Mel and his brother decided to take their savings and move to California. While en route, they stopped off in Las Vegas and within a week, lost virtually all of the $3,000 they had saved. So the brothers decided to stay, selling their car and attempt to win their money back. Mel's first job in Vegas was working at the original Las Vegas club as a bookmaker for $15 a day, paid out in cash every day by the owner at the time, Benny Binion. According to Mel, it was the first sports book in the state, although it was little more than enough room for a ticket counter and scoreboard. Two years later, Mel would move to the El Dorado Club on Fremont, 
for a $10 a day raise, still paid out in cash at the end of the day. Over the next few years, Mel took his bookmaking skills to various properties on Fremont and the Strip, including the Pioneer Club, the Golden Nugget, and the Desert Inn, before meeting and becoming friends with the man who also shared a passion for bookmaking, Jackie Gone. Jackie's father was a bookmaker and owned racehorses. Usually when you hear those types of professions mentioned outside of the state of Nevada, they're illegal operations. But not in Omaha, Nebraska, because during the 1920s and 30s, both activities were legal. Jackie's first job was as a runner for those operations. Like most Vegas pioneers, Jackie became a student of gaming. By 1942, at age 22, Jackie was married and owned two bookie shops of his own. He used the revenue they generated to send himself to Creighton University. While he was a senior in college, he enlisted in the Army to serve his country during World War II. As a gunnery instructor, he was stationed at the training base outside of Las Vegas, known today as Nellis Air Force Base. In 1943, while on a weekend leave, Jackie checked into the property he would one day own, the El Cortez. In 1946, after Jackie was discharged, even though he bought a 3% stake in the Boulder Club on Fremont Street, his first investment in Nevada gaming, he returned to Omaha, finished his education at Creighton University, and returned to running his bookmaking businesses in Nebraska. But in 1950, the state passed a 10% tax on the industry, essentially crippling it. So, Jackie decided to move his young family to Las Vegas. Upon arriving, he purchased a 3% stake in the Flamingo, which was only three years old at the time, and started working at the property. It was during this time that Jackie and Mel became friends. Legend has it that Jackie quit working at the Flamingo after Monster Game. We hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Hey.